Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Western Conference is no longer wide open. Not after what happened last night with the blockbuster trade that was pulled off late last night between the Brooklyn Nets and the Phoenix Suns as Kevin Durant is headed to the desert. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the game studios by Dawson Iserlo. We got a good show lined up for you today. Got plenty to get to. We're getting closer and closer to Super Bowl 57 in Glendale, Arizona, between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. Our guest for today, Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports, our sports betting analyst, will be joining us to talk about all the bets, all the prop bets going along with Super Bowl 57. Less East. Our friend from CrescentCitySports.com will give us the latest news about the New Orleans Pelicans and the New Orleans Saints. And Tulane football legend and Super Bowl champion Mawil Day Moore will be stopping by. And of course, we're going to discuss Raging Cajuns Baseball Media Day, which was held yesterday. We're going to talk a little LSU men's basketball. Yes, they played a game. Yes, they played hard. Yes, they still lost. <laughs> just keeping it real. And of course, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is open as always. 337-706-0111. Trade deadline in the NBA has been, well, pretty eventful. First, the news came out over the weekend that Kyrie Irving, the disgruntled and Ooh, a polarizing point guard from the Brooklyn Nets got shipped to the Dallas Mavericks. Then yesterday, the day after LeBron James passes Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the NBA's title of all-time scoring leader, the Lakers make a trade. It's a complicated one, but they made one nonetheless. Three-way trade between the Lakers, Jazz, and Timberwolves. I don't understand what Minnesota's doing. We can dive into that another time. But D'Angelo Russell is back with the Lakers. And the Lakers have revamped their roster to try to make themselves a far better team in the Western Conference. Russell Westbrook gets shipped out to the Jazz. All expectations are that Russ will essentially get cut. They'll buy him out. So he can go sign with whoever he wants to. Lots of reports have the Chicago Bulls are interested in Russell Westbrook. The T-Wolves, I'm not really for sure what they decided to do. You had Carl Anthony Towns' best friend. You made sure to bring him in. The guy that made that move, you fired. 
and then you traded D'Angelo Russell, and then you traded another one of your good players, and you traded Beverly. Not for sure what the Timberwolves are doing, but that's been the case about the T-Wolves for 20 years now. They're messy. Not really for sure they have a vision. And they went all in on Gobert, too. Not great. But that all pales in comparison to the move that was made last night. Suns land Kevin Durant and T.J. Warren. Can't forget about T.J. Warren. He's a difference maker. KD headed to the Phoenix Suns. All NBA forward, former league MVP, Kevin Durant heads to Phoenix for a package that includes the young dynamic forward, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, and four unprotected future first-round picks. Phoenix is all in. And if you're the Suns, you have now Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden. That's quite a very good big four, if you will. Now, I have questions about the rest of the roster depth. We talked about this on yesterday's show, Dawson and I did, about those championship teams that is more than just the big three or big four. There's usually like three or four other guys that are glue guys that get other stuff done. Now, Warren being part of the trade, he'll be one of those guys for Phoenix. I do wonder who else is going to have to step up. And we do know Jay Crowder is, reports are they're going to essentially buy him out. Brooklyn is. That way he can go sign with a veteran team. That report has already been out there. So they're going to keep Bridges and Johnson and stockpile all those picks they get in return. First round picks are going to be 2023, 2025, 2027, 2029. And then they get to swap in 2028. It's a huge haul. But this is what you do now. We've been immensely critical of the Lakers and how they've run their front office and how they've allowed LeBron James to make all the decisions and how they have probably someone not very qualified to be their general manager. But they made the decision a couple of years ago during the pandemic when they gave up their future and they gave up assets, young players that weren't quite stars yet, and a bunch of picks to go get themselves Anthony Davis. And it worked because it they won a championship. This is what you do. This is what you do. If you're a team like this and you have veteran guys and you've been, remember the Suns played for the title just a couple years ago. They feel like they have a window here. They've never won an NBA championship. They have a new owner who is very aggressive. If you have an ownership, if you have ownership that says, you know what? I don't care about the rest of the stuff. I want to win. The Lakers have that with Jeannie. And her dad was the same way all those years. The Lakers all the time gave up draft picks to go sign guys or trade for guys. And it worked out over and over and over again. This is... 
the Anthony Davis trade. Phoenix is like, okay, you want four first-round picks. Great. You want a couple of our young players that are emerging. Great. Let's make it happen. And for Phoenix, if they win one title, just one, that's all that matters. Like That's the part that we don't wrap our head around. We struggle with as sports talk hosts or fans. We're critical of the Lakers. Well, look how bad the Lakers are. You know who the Lakers don't care? You know why they don't care? Because they got another Larry O'Brien trophy in the case. That's what it's all about. That's what it's always all about for certain ownership. And it's always been that way for the Lakers. If you watch the tremendous Hulu 10-part docuseries on the history of the Lakers, it documents that over and over and over and over again. This guy for the Suns, he has that mentality. It's all in. I want a championship. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Well, it's funny, too, because I almost think this is even more so like one title oriented than the Lakers deal. Like the Lakers wanted one title and they're they're happy, but I think they wanted more. They felt like they could get more. They felt like Anthony Davis was like going to take the torch type of thing. And maybe that'll still happen, but it certainly hasn't worked out the rest of the way with LeBron AD together. Correct. Phoenix, now again, not to say they're sitting here going, we're going to try to compete this year and this year only, but like Chris Paul, that went, I mean, there was reports that they almost traded Chris Paul a few days ago. Correct. So, And you and I talked about it before we went on the air. DeAndre Aiden, it looked like he may have been moved in the offseason. Right. Remember? We, there was yeah, legitimate they, conversations about that because he and Monty Williams don't see eye to eye. They essentially re-signed him because they didn't really have any better options is what is what it kind of sounded like. Yes. But So not only are they going to go in all in this year, but I don't know if the window is really open for much longer. Now, if Durant, if they're able to, you know, if he's going to stay long term, that all is going to be figured out later on. But for me, yeah. And Phoenix, a franchise, now the Lakers, you know, they've won titles before and they'll win titles again. They know that. But a, but a franchise like Phoenix, who desperately wants to get there at least once, this is a this is the epitome of an all. This is like the Rams, too. You know, if you want to make another comparison, this is what the Rams did. And yeah, you might mortgage a little bit of your future, but I think Phoenix was kind of in limbo of whether or not their future was bright regardless. I don't know if they felt like they had the franchise pieces to just keep this thing rolling once Chris Paul and those guys left. So, yeah, they go all in, and yeah, the West is closed down, and now it's going to be interesting to see how long does it take for this to get gelled in Phoenix, uh, Chris Paul and Durant playing together. And, and Durant's still injured. Right. He's still, he's still injured, too. That's the other part of this. It's going to take some time. You know what helps them, Dawson? is that they have Chris Paul. One of the most unselfish point guards we've ever seen play the game. Paul's okay only scoring six points a game, right? And the offense runs through him. And think about that. How are you going to defend Phoenix? Like, how are you going to defend if they're healthy with Durant, Aiden, and Booker on the the court at the same time? How are you going to defend that? Because all three of them can score. Now, Aiden's game is more down low, right? We understand that. Maybe six, seven feet away from the basket. He's developed a little bit of that game. But DeAndre's down low. Durant can score wherever he's at. So you have one of the greatest scorers of all time. You have a guy that can shoot the lights out as the three-point from the three-point line and Booker who can also attack the basket. And you got a guy down low. How are you going to defend that? Like, that? that's my first question. If they're all healthy, how do you defend that? And... I almost feel like Chris Paul is the perfect point guard to play with Durant. Like, how how often has Durant, he's really only ever played with, now I guess Westbrook 
you know, you can debate with. But Westbrook's always looking to get his first, in my opinion, the way he plays. Early on, early on, he wasn't that way. Right, right. Right, when they were together in Oklahoma City. And even when Harden came in as the sixth man, he was not a score first guy then. Early on, they weren't. Those two guys quickly developed into ball hog guys, ISO guys. But you're right, Durant's never played with a guy like this. That is, Chris Paul just goes, all right, man, I got you. Don't worry about it. And you could argue Kyrie, but again, Kyrie and Durant never really played with each other all that much. So it's like, <laughs> no. and Steph, you know, Steph was a great point guard, but of course Steph is also a generational offensive player. He's a Whereas shooter. Chris Paul is going to, at certain segments of the season, and I'm actually excited to watch this team a lot, Chris Paul has that ability to just focus in on getting his teammates to basketball, and he's going to have a couple of games where he's got 12 points and 15 assists. And, I mean, it's going to be fun to watch those two go to work and kind of as they gel. Yeah, I, I, the Western Conference, you know, you talked about Ooh. Dallas making a move. Phoenix made a move, and, and we'll see. Dallas made a move. The Lakers tried to make a move, and you're like, oh, okay. Everyone kind of got a little better, and then Phoenix was like, no, nah, bro. <laughs> the Suns were like, no, no, that's not how this is going to work. Yeah, Durant, Booker, Paul, DeAndre Aiden. Paul and Aiden are on contract for two and three years. So you have a bit of a window here, right? You have a little bit of a window. And if you're Phoenix, you also still have Devin Booker, who you re-signed. He's on a massive deal. So you have a couple of years, right? I'd say two. I'd say two years. you got about a two-year window here to be able to make this happen and do something. But the great experiment in Brooklyn, Durant, Irving, and Harden, were all acquired to conquer the NBA together. They played a total of 16 games together, by the way. That's it. That's it. Oh, man. Huge deal for the Suns. The biggest deal they've made since going after and getting Charles Barkley back in 1992, which helped them go to the NBA Finals. Just saying. Unbelievable. Pelicans, you're up. <laughs> they weren't going to be making a big move anyway, but now if you're in New Orleans, you see what Dallas did, you see what the Lakers did, you see now what Phoenix did, and you go, um, who's available? <laughs> we got to take a timeout. Huh. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. King cake season is here and break rooms are being filled with those delicious sugar-coated pastries. That is so sweet. Just don't be the guy or gal who gets the plastic baby and lies about it. Come on. Come on, really. Step up and do the right thing, cheapskate, and buy the next cake. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Kevin Durant traded to Phoenix. What a wild ride it's been in Brooklyn. Here's a little bit of a timeline for you. <laughs> in July of 19, they signed Kyrie Irving. It's a big deal, right? Kyrie's going to Brooklyn. Then 
that same month they acquired Kevin Durant from the Warriors via sign trade. Like, uh uh-oh. Then a couple years later, they acquired James Harden from the Rockets in January of 2021. Then in February of 2022, they traded Harden to the 76ers. And then February 6th, they traded Kyrie Irving to the Mavericks. And then this morning, they traded Kevin Durant to the Suns. Woo! What, 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 what? Once again, Nets are going to get Bridges, a couple other players, four unprotected first-round draft picks, and then a first-round swap. So they're doing a rebuild. They're stockpiling talent. Do they have enough with, like, Dinwiddie and Bridges to still be a playoff team in the East? Maybe. Maybe. That's the crazy thing about this is that they unloaded their two best players and they still may be a playoff team, which could be promising, especially with all the assets that they have. They can build upon that. So we'll see what happens with Brooklyn, but Phoenix is obviously the clear-cut best team now in the Western Conference. And, whew. I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how teams are going to be able to defend. Now, a team that does match up well with them, courtesy of our guy Darren, number one Raging Cajun fan, and Ja Morant Stan. The Grizzlies are a team that is kind of built that way, right? But Durant's been on that level before. Durant knows what it takes to win a championship. I always lean towards the team that has that experience. Durant's been a finals MVP. So... In a matchup, if it comes down to being the Suns and the Grizzlies in the Western Conference Finals, I'm going to lean towards the Suns because they got a guy on there that's been that guy at that level. That's how I always do that. Yeah, and Memphis has done a whole lot of talking for a team that, I mean, yeah, they've had moments, but they haven't accomplished anything on the big stage yet. Like, they haven't made, they haven't won big playoff series They're down bordering, the they're, they're, they're teetering. You, you, you feel it. The Grizzlies are teetering on becoming that team no one likes. And if you want to be the villain, you can embrace being the villain. And I got no problem with that. But they went from plucky, scrappy, young team to now they're kind of developing a reputation of being the team no one likes. And they haven't accomplished anything. I love John Morant. I've said it before. I said it on the air. If I was the Pelicans, I said it when it happened on the air. I would have taken Ja Morant because it's a point guard league. I would have taken Ja over Zion. I said it. I was criti- I got criticized for it. And I was just like, look, that's what I would have done because I see Ja Morant play and he's got the dog in him. Period. Him and Zion are going to be forever linked and Zion is going to be great if he can stay healthy. Right? That's the big question mark. But the Grizzlies are kind of teetering on, eh, you're making it hard. <laughs> you're making it hard to kind of root for you because you got a big chip on your shoulder and you haven't accomplished anything. But how about today's NBA, back to this Brooklyn thing, which I understand it's circumstances and it's like Kyrie and it's personalities, but like you're 10 games above 500, you're a top four seed in the Eastern Conference, you're seemingly positioned to make a run and, and you can play with anybody in the conference and you have to trade your best two players because they don't want to be there. And now you have to be – now, again, yeah, you, they are still going to be a playoff team, especially given their record right now. It would be tough for them to fall out of the playoffs. And I like some of the pieces they have. Yeah, and they got some pieces back uh, as well in both trades. But, like, that's just, you know, you fight – teams fight to get to where they were, and you get there, 
And then you're just basically forced to tear it down even though it's working. Because of the whims of star players. Right, and that's especially that's something you only really see in the NBA, which I guess with the smaller rosters, of course, each player has a bigger impact and everything like that. And the NBA has, you know, the players have more power than any other league as well. With their collective bargaining agreement, yes, their CBA is far, the, the union is far stronger in the association than it is with any other league. Just crazy to think that, you put together a roster and you are winning games and you're in position to make a run and you're essentially forced to trade away your two best players because they both don't want to be there. And, I, your and three you fired best players your coach you back in the offseason, too. You fired your coach to appease your star players. Yeah, and then back to when you even traded Harden, you know, like you basically you built this super roster and then slowly <laughs> tore it down because you had to. Because they <laughs> Interesting, just, just today's NBA, you know. It's, it's for us old heads... Us guys that remember watching Kareem play and Magic play and Larry play, it's and 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 Michael, yeah, it's 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 a bit of an adjustment for us. It it it. I'm not going to sit here and deny that it doesn't irk me because it does. Because it's just like you're getting paid more than players have ever been paid in the history of the game. Sponsorship money is everywhere. You don't have to be in the big markets anymore. And it's just like, well, I don't want to be here. I, I just I just don't like it. And it's just like, okay. Now, do I think Durant, when he's going to be going to Phoenix, do I think it's going to be more of the mentality that he had in Golden State? Yes. Paul being there matters because of how highly regarded he is in the league by nearly everyone. Like they look to Chris as, you know, the 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 point God, right? Like that that's so he is revered. So he automatically commands a room. That's gonna matter. That's gonna definitely matter with Durant. Because Durant likes, respects those kind of veteran guys, whether it was Steph or whoever it is. He just he responds to that. I also think Monty Williams is better served as a head coach to deal with the personalities and Monty is well respected in the league as well. That's going to matter with Durant. I think that's just going to matter. So I think it's a better situation there with the the personalities. Plus he's going to a team where there's not a Kyrie Irving personality or James Harden, you know, and he's going to a team with that has kind of unselfish players that matters as well. It's the little things. It's always the little things. Well, and Durant, I think, doesn't really ever want to be that leader. Like he, he likes to play basketball, and he's like said that a lot. He's the guy. He's not like the rah rah leader in the locker room. So going to a place where Chris Paul, not only do you have Monty Williams, who's a good head coach who commands the room, Chris Paul can take care of all that leadership stuff. There you and go. Durant gets to go out there and play. And I think he probably really likes and wants that, and is looking forward to that. Same thing in Golden State. He, you know, Steph and Draymond, they'll handle all the other stuff. I can just go out there and play. So I think he's going to like that. Right. He's going to be freed up just to go out there and just play basketball and play it well with a bunch of other really good and great players. There you go. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a ton of sense. Let's quickly touch on LSU men's basketball. It's 11 in a row now, right? Is that what we're up to with the losses? This is how it started for the LSU men's basketball team last night at Mississippi State. Four turnovers by LSU in the first minute and a half of the ball game. 
all seven points by Mississippi State came off of those four turnovers. Matt McMahon was visibly livid. LSU would go on to have 11 first-half turnovers. Most of those were careless dribbling. Yes, careless dribbling of the basketball. Wasn't even poor decision or poor shot selection. It was unable to dribble the basketball that helped lead to those 11 first-half turnovers. LSU didn't make a field goal in the last 10 plus game uh, last 10 plus minutes of the game in a stretch in this game the losing streak is now to 11 games <sighs> turnovers off of dribbling they're 10 plus minutes without scoring a basket Dawson. And seven plus minutes to end the first half without scoring a point. They go up 22-16 with 7.20 left in the first half, and they don't score another point the rest of the first half. Not They didn't get to the free throw line. They didn't get a bucket. They didn't score a point in seven plus minutes of basketball. That was This was one of those winnable games that they had a chance. Mississippi State is not good, and you still you couldn't even beat them. Also, Trey Hannibal, remember after the Alabama game, Matt McMahon said Hannibal didn't play because of a coach's decision? Remember? Uh, he was on the bench in a walking boot. So did he get injured before that game and they were just being taking precautionary measures? Did he get injured in practice? We don't know, but he's in a walking boot now. Woof. 11 straight for the LSU men's basketball team. They are on the struggle bus. I don't see how this team is going to finish the regular season with a winning record. Do you? They're turning over the ball by dribbling. And not scoring, as Dawson said, a single point, not even a free throw, in seven plus minutes. This is bad basketball at its finest. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a long time for Matt McMahon to be able to turn things around with the LSU men's basketball program. We got to take a timeout. Come back. We'll keep taking your phone calls. We'll touch on all the topics of the day, including Raging Cajuns Baseball Media Day was held yesterday. Big expectation for Matt Deggs' team. That's all next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You can't pay for uh, success and, uh, you know, or put a price tag on that experience uh, coming back. There's a lot of hunger 
guys got a taste of it. They didn't just smell it or see it. We got a taste of it and take down the Big 12 champions. Have arguably uh, one of the better four-game runs uh, probably in program history. Uh, when you look at our, our run through uh, the tournament and a really good South Owl team and then the performance against Texas State, who was the best team in the league last year, hands down, uh, from a talent perspective. Uh, and then the five-run deficit against Georgia Southern. And then we've got uh, TCU at the first game of that College Station Regional and get after those guys pretty good and then have a two-run lead uh, in the seventh against A&M. We're right there. They saw it. Uh, they experienced it. And, uh, you know, the bar is pretty high. Uh, I don't think it's just get back to that point uh, as much as, as it is. What's it going to take not only to get back there? Because you got to earn it, right? We're not starting off at the College Station Regional. We're starting off at Rice. And you've got to earn it every step of the way. And I believe we've checked a lot of boxes. So they're hungry. Uh, the bar's really high. And uh, I don't think anything's impossible with this team. Raging Cajun skipper Matt Deggs at Media Day yesterday inside the stadium club there at Russo Park. Got to talk to him, got to talk to a lot of different players, and we're going to be sharing all that with you today and moving forward into next week's season opener because they'll begin on the road with a three-game set at Rice over in Houston a week from Friday. The team had the breakthrough last year, and I, I said this on the air Last year, even before they broke through and made the great run at the conference tournament to win the thing and then get to an NCAA regional, it finally felt like Matt Deggs' team. The couple years beforehand, it was Matt Deggs coaching Tony Robichaud's team. I mean, the first year they got cut because of COVID, they unveiled the statue of Robe. And Deggs is playing his former team, Sam Houston. There was a lot of emotion involved. There was a lot of hangover from Tony's death that still lingered over the program. It, they didn't try to have it that way. It's just that's that's human nature. And then they still had kind of that leftover because the season was cut short. It kind of carried over a little bit into year number two. Last year was the first year where it was, this is Matt Deggs' team. It felt that way, the way they played, the way they talked, the way they carried themselves. It was different. And it finally became his team. Oh, and they just so happened to break through. And now that what happened last year, because the program had been on the decline a little bit under Tony. You look at Tony's career, as great as it was, there was always lulls, right? They'd pay really high and be a team that would be going to regionals or competing to go to regionals, and then they'd dip down for a couple years. Last year was the floor moving forward. That's, that's what it is now. Winning the conference tournament, getting to an NCAA regional, winning a couple of NCAA regional games, that's your floor. That's what's going to be expected now. And with a team as loaded as they are, they have 16 lettermen coming back. Dawson, 16. They have 16 coming back from a team that won the conference tournament and went to the NCAA regional and won a couple of games. That's huge. You would hope that's the floor, but I don't know if I would say that that is going to be the floor. It's the floor for them. I think that's the floor for them. 
I think it's from the, an expectation level. Yes. Sure. Yes. I just I do have questions about this roster, and we'll get into that, of course, as the season gets on. Specifically, the pitching staff. I have no questions about the lineup. Um, I just wonder if when you know starting pitching seems to be a concern right now, and if that doesn't pick up, can the lineup outscore some teams and keep them in games? And then when you get down the stretch into tournament play, do you have enough? But, of course, we'll see. The pitching is the big question mark for this team. You're exactly correct. The lineup is not the question mark. When you got Julian Brock and Carson, they're going to rake. And, to be fair, that's what Deggs' specialty is, right? He was a hitting coach for the Cajuns. that's 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 his bread and butter. So, that's what they do really well. Who's going to be the Friday starter? Who's going to be the Saturday starter? Do they even have a Sunday guy? That's the big question mark for me heading into the season. It looks like Jake Hammond is probably going to be the Friday guy. The LSUE transfer. They do have some newcomers that are going to be counted on to step up in a, in a big way. but And they have bullpen help. Do they have the starting pitching? That's my big question mark. You and I are on the same page here. Starting pitching, that's going to be what either helps propel them to that next level or to get back to that level or what's going to hold them back. And I know preseason awards don't mean everything. They mean almost nothing. But Carson Rockefort not being the preseason player of the year over a DH, which oh. – and, I mean, maybe Ledford's going to play the field for Georgia Southern, but, like, if he's truly a DH, not only is Rockefort – you know, maybe the best hitting prospect in the conference, but he's also a really good defensive first baseman, and he could play outfield as well. Like, I don't know. I, I I'm not a huge fan of the preseason player of the year being a DH. If if Ledford is, which he's listed as a DH in the the preseason award, so that's just that was strange to me. But those don't matter. Yeah, those don't matter. But you have a veteran team, right? And Brock and Rock. Obviously, they are a couple of the guys that got some some love on the preseason team. What do you make of the Cajuns picked to finish fourth in the preseason poll? I get it. I mean, Southern Miss is was definitely a better team last year and brings back enough to be correct uh, the favorite. Texas State was better than UL for most of the season last year. But they year. lose a ton off of that team. Yeah, so I was a little surprised. I would have maybe had them third, um, but I do understand. Like, I don't. Like I said, I have some enough concerns about this roster to feel like it's fair. Like they didn't win the regular season title and the conference tournament, and they weren't the clear cut best team in the Sun Belt last year. They played the best at the end. Correct. But I mean, I, I'm okay with where they at. And I don't, I don't love being picked preseason favorites anyway. I think that puts a little like it puts a weird kind of target on your back, and so I'm okay with it. But with Deggs's personality in a veteran team, this works in their favor, right? This, this is the type of stuff that works in their favor. They're self-motivated as it is, right? But, oh, you're picked to finish fourth. Preseason player of the year is a DH, not you. Like, that's the type of stuff. They're not built that way. They're, they're not solely motivated by the disrespect card. But a veteran team led by a guy that's kind of got the edgy personality that Coach Deggs does. This helps. Like, I agree with you. Actually, I think this is a good thing. I think it's a good thing that Carson's not the preseason player of the year. I think it's a good thing the Cajuns weren't picked to win because that's just going to add more fuel to their tank. I I just – and that can't hurt them, 
right? That can only help them moving forward. Yeah, I mean, and like the other side of it, think about tonight, the UL basketball team who was picked, they had the preseason player of the year. They were the favorites, and they've lived up to the expectations, but they get to go play a Southern Miss team that was picked 13th out of 14 right. and is tied for first. So you, right. you see both ends of it. Pre- preseason stuff's kind of silly. <laughs> it's just... Picking the preseason player of the year, the pre it's just it's just it's just it's just a little silly, right? It's just it's it's a little much. It just is. Now, I asked Coach Deggs at Media Day yesterday, hey, you have a veteran team. Lots of leadership coming back. Has that changed his approach on how to coach them, right? Is is he gonna be continually pushing them or is he challenging his guys to push themselves? And this is what he had to say. I don't think it's me challenging them as much as it's them challenging them. And that's the, the special part about this. Uh, I believe in these guys so much. I, I think for the first time in program history, and somebody can correct me, but they've earned the right to wear a C on their chest. And uh, we'll have six guys that do that that have all earned it. Uh, and so it hasn't been, I don't think, and they, they may tell you different, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to prod them along the way and, and make sure that there's a lot of clarity and they understand our mission and, and vision and what we're doing day to day. But those guys are the, the, the uh, glue that hold everything together. And uh, like I said, there's a lot of expectation, which is what you want. I started here three and a half years ago, and that was the first thing that I wanted to attack was go from hoping to expecting, go from being glad to put a uniform on to you're going to earn that uniform and this is the way you play to keep that thing. And we're there. Now it's a matter of going and playing the game. And look, this team is going to be motivated. They have a ton of experience. They have more home games this year than they did last year. They added three to four more of those. So that's nice. The schedule has also changed. It's not the gauntlet like it was last year. They have some challenging series, but it's more reflective of what everyone else is doing in the league because the league got better. You added Southern Miss, a team that played in the Super Regional last year. So you didn't have to go crazy with the non-conference schedule like you've done in maybe years past. And remember, they put, what, four teams the Sun Belt did last year into the field? You add Southern Miss. They're good. But pitching is the question mark. Dawson and I agree on this. That's for us the big question mark. And you know what? Deggs talked about that yesterday as well, that the questions are on the mound. No, it's definitely on the mound. But look, things change too real quick. You know, you have guys that have a great fall and they come out and they scuffle in spring training or guys that have an incredible spring uh, training and then we get into the you know, first week or two and they can't buy a hit. And so things kind of ebb and flow. But the nice part for us is uh, I like the fact that it's on the mound and it's not uh, eight other guys around them that we're having to figure out. It's just that one dude with the ball in his hand. Uh, the, the talent's there. The... Uh, the ability to pitch inside of what we do is there. The the competitiveness is there and the stuff is there. It's just a matter, Kev, of identifying those roles and getting them laid out. Offensively, they're ready to roll. We'll talk a lot more about the Raging Cajuns baseball team. We'll share more of media day and the days ahead leading up to the season opener. Season opening. Se- so I'll try that again. Third time, maybe? Okay. Season opening series. At Rice. There we go. There we go. Breaking in the tongue today, apparently, in the next week or so. But expectations are high, and, man, they got some great games on the schedule. LSU, Louisiana Tech, Tulane, 
and they end the regular season, Dawson, with a three-game set at Southern Miss. That is going to be phenomenal, and that's a great park as well. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll unveil the poll question of the day. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yep. Sounds like we were meant to be together. Or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day, other than the actual game, what is your favorite part of the Super Bowl to watch? Is it the pre- and post-game shows? Is it the commercials? Is it the halftime show? Or is it other Right now, 84% of you say commercials, 11% say other, 5% say halftime show, no votes yet for the pre- or post-game shows. No one likes watching the trophy presentation, apparently. Ralph on Twitter says, Puppy Bowl. (laughs) Tough, though, seems to be a lot of unnecessary roughness. Hard to figure out who's the favorite and who's the dog. See what he did? He tried to go with the cute puns there, Ralph did. I'm here for it. JPK, the OD. Tells you everything you need to know about his post because he shared a gif of Stanley from the office. The low-hanging fruit answer is the commercials, but if I'm honest, they haven't been as good as the hype lately. Also, they get leaked and previewed. They have lost the anticipation factor it used to have. Salty Steve with a non-salty comment. Can't wait to see the next great Bud commercial. Doritos never fails either. Bring it on, guys. Can't wait for the next bellyache from the laughter. My man's ready to be entertained. Ton on Twitter says, always the commercials, which are always 20 times better after a few beers. And John Paul Cajun Daddy says, I'm going to go with the commercials. In the last 15 years, the only good halftime show was with Snoop Dogg, but I'm showing my age. The national anthem is always good, too, as long as they pick the right singer. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number one, done. Hour number two, coming up. We'll talk more KD trade and so much more right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. For many of us, we went to bed going, hey, yeah, minor three-way trade involving the Lakers and Russell Westbrook. That trade got done. And then we wake up to find out that Kevin Durant's been traded from the Brooklyn Nets to the Phoenix Suns. Suns have to give up multiple players, including Bridges, who I am really high on. I think he's a good young player. And four first-round unprotected picks. 
the Nets, who, by the way, and Dawson said this in our number one, and we're going to circle back to it again. The Brooklyn Nets are the four seed right now in the Eastern Conference. (laughs) And they just blew up their team. Just blew it up. Traded Kyrie Irving over the weekend. He's gone. And now I've traded Kevin Durant. And more than likely, they'll still be a playoff team, even if they fade a little bit here. They'll still be a playoff team. And they'll have a reshuffled roster of Ben Simmons, Mikhail Bridges, Spencer Dinwiddie, and some other dudes. And they're starting to collect a lot of picks. So if you're Brooklyn, you got to make a move. Makes sense. Durant was like, man, man, it's time. It's time. This didn't work out. It's time for us to cut our losses. So Brooklyn is going to now do a rebuild while still being a playoff team, which is, hey, that's a luxury. Phoenix, on the other hand, says we're all in, and now we're going to separate ourselves from the rest of the West. The West was wide open. It was Denver and Memphis that had begun to separate themselves a little bit, right? So what this trade does now for me, there's now two tier, there's now three tiers in the West. Because it felt like Denver and Memphis were separating themselves as it was. Now it's Phoenix. And then it's Denver and Memphis, and then it's everybody else. Well, and even Memphis has really faded in the last couple of weeks, losing like, what, 8 to 10, something like that. They, they're, they're on the struggle bus a little bit. So it's going to be really Phoenix and everyone else. And I know there's questions of, well, who else is going to be on the Suns roster that's going to be able to fill in those holes? They have a big four. Warren is a good player. He's a good glue guy. You got him in the trade as well. With Durant, they also sent Warren to Phoenix as well. And then they'll just figure it out. They have a very good coach in Monty Williams that commands respect in the locker room. Correct me if I'm wrong, Monty was on staff with Golden State when Durant was there. We'll have to look that up. I feel like that's the case. That Monty Williams was part of the Golden State staff when Durant was there? No? Don't think so. No. He was with the Thunder from 15 to 16, then uh, Philadelphia from 18 to 19, and then Phoenix ever since. Okay. But Monty's going to command respect in the locker room. You have Chris Paul that everyone reveres, especially players. Durant's going to be able to just play basketball. You have Paul, who's unselfish, who's just going to feed the ball to Durant. Booker, who's one of the top 15 players in the league. And you got a double-double guy in DeAndre Aiden who has a good low post game. I understand health and foul trouble will play a role and will take a while for this team to gel. How do you stop that team? Like, if they're healthy, how do you stop that team? Because if you double Durant, you're going to leave Booker open to either attack the basket or shoot threes. If you double Durant, you're going to leave Aiden more than likely on a mismatch because no one has big post players anymore. 
in the league. Veteran coach, aggressive owner. Look, it doesn't always work. It didn't work for Brooklyn, right? It didn't work for Brooklyn. So there's a possibility that it doesn't work for Phoenix. But this feels different because of the personalities involved. Brooklyn, not only did you have KD, a.k.a. Mr. Burner account, you had Kyrie and you had Harden. And you went, ugh, how's that going to work? How are they going to play together? It was volatile with their coach. The guys didn't even get along. How many times did, when you watched the Nets play when they played in those glorious 16 games together, the, you saw those guys have fun playing basketball or even having tension. The Nets were indifference was the big thing that I always saw when I saw those guys together. Their big three, it was just a lot of indifference. There was no passion. There was no zeal. There was no vigor. It was like, eh, we're here. It just seemed an afterthought. Chris Paul is going to make sure that doesn't happen. Devin Booker is a dynamic young player. Monty Williams is not going to allow that to happen as well. It's a huge blockbuster deal. Other teams have made minor deals. Once again, Dallas traded for Kyrie to try to improve their standing in the Western Conference. The Lakers involved with a three-team deal with the Jazz and the Timberwolves. I still don't understand what Minnesota's doing. I texted Ali Cassell to ask his thoughts, and he gave me some idea, and I was like, eh, and he goes, well, it probably won't work. The Lakers tried to get better by adding some talented guys and getting Russ Brook out of there. Russ will more than likely get bought out by Utah, and then some reports have him probably signing with Chicago. You got those deals being made to try to improve things. Portland traded Josh Hart. Everyone loves Josh Hart, but no one wants to keep Josh Hart on the roster. He's that guy. The Knicks want him. They're giving up on Cam. Okay. Like, okay. That's that's one of those minor deals where you go, like, I feel like Josh Hart could help a contender be a six-man kind of guy. The Knicks aren't a contender. So I don't know how much Josh helps them with their moves. But teams are making moves. San Antonio made a move as well. So you had these minor moves, but of course, Duran is the big one. What happens with Crowder is going to be interesting to me as well. Could we see a possibility that because Crowder was part of the trade back to Brooklyn, he's a vet, a good vet player, right? Does a lot of the dirty work for you. Reports are Brooklyn's going to buy him out. He'll go, they're either going to try to buy him out or they'll try to trade him to another contender. Who goes after and gets Jake? You know, who, who go gets Crowder? That's an interesting, we're going to be focused on Durant and rightfully so, but Crowder's one of those guys that can help a team win, help a team win a title. And he was just thrown into the deal. Who's going to go after him? Because reports are Brooklyn's going to see if they can just turn him into, like, you know, get a second round pick or something for him cash considerations, whatever it might be. But then that leads us to what the Pels do. We spent a lot of time on this show. We spent weeks talking about, well, 
what kind of minor deal will the Pels make because they're in the same boat with everyone else in the West. Because everybody else in the West is in the same boat because the difference between the three seed and the 10 seed is like three games. There's not that much difference. And everyone's going to be a buyer, right? Everyone's going to want to be a buyer, especially in the Western Conference. Well, Dallas traded for Kyrie. The Lakers made deals to make their team better because they did get better with those trades. They shipped off Russ. And now the Suns make a huge splash by getting Kevin Durant. Trade deadlines this afternoon. If you're the Pelicans, you can't stand Pat. You're not going to be able to pull off a blockbuster trade here. But you got to at least make a move, right, Dawson? you got to at least do something here because you can't stay Pat and not do nothing. you got to try to improve your roster somehow, some way, even if it's getting like a backup, a bench player. you got to do something. Um. Yes and no. I I, I think you make a small move if it's there, but like I wouldn't be in a rush to jump in line because everybody else is buying something at the concession stand. If that makes sense, like your roster is still pretty good, and Zion is coming back, and that's gonna feel like a trade. It's like the it's like a you know in baseball you see this a lot. You know if you have a guy who's been hurt for most of the first half of the season, okay, and they're coming back, you you kind of feel like that's your big acquisition. Or sometimes you have a prospect who's coming up who's gonna get called up. Um, so yeah, a lot of teams like want something and need something to get them going. But this first of all, they've started to turn things around on their own and play better. Zion comes back. If a deal's there to be made and you can improve the roster to you know get somebody on the wing, somebody smaller, uh, you know, a small acquisition, I should say, uh, then do it. But I wouldn't force a deal just because everyone else is making a deal. I wouldn't force a deal. But you're going to have to make a deal. like Because you can still improve your roster. And that's what it's all about. You're right about Zion coming back. That it's going to be a huge addition for this team. Absolutely. Jackson Hayes and Devontae Graham are just rotting on your bench. And they're not helping you. Move on from them and get something in return. Get a player that can come in and get you minutes. Get a guy that maybe can play some better defense. At least do something. You don't need to go get C.J. McCollum. A minor deal feels like it's still needed. And you feel like you have the potential to be a top four seed in the West, right? Are you going to, you don't want to regret not pulling the trigger to get a minor deal to make your team better. Because they're not going to be able to make a major deal. But a minor deal to make the team better, you got you got you got to do. Especially if you feel like you can be a top four seed and and make a run in the Western Conference playoffs, you got to make some sort of minor deal. I'm not saying force your hand because of what everyone else did, but I just don't believe the Pelicans can stay pat. I just don't. Make a minor deal, get somebody else that can come in to do something that can be a far more effective player for you. We'll see if they can do it. Trade deadline is this afternoon. So there'll be a flurry of minor activity today. There'll be minor deals. There's going to be no more blockbuster deals. There'll be a slew of minor deals where you go, who's that? What? Who's that guy? Okay. And we'll see what happens if the Pels are going to make some sort of minor deal today with the NBA trade deadline set for this afternoon. We got to take a timeout. 
When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to talk Super Bowl 57. That's right, gearing up for the big game. It is Sunday, Eagles-Chiefs. We'll discuss it next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I don't know about that. I, um, I'm not really into all that. I'll let you guys, you guys deal with that. I, um, you know, it's important in our world that as coaches and players that you try to get better every, every day and that uh, you're only as good as your last game. And so, or the next game, I should say. And, and so... We're we're uh, we're striving to focus in on this thing, trying not to look at all that stuff. Um, that's good when you retire. You can kind of go, hey, you know, they said we were a dynasty. Well, so but right now, you don't let that get in here. You know, that's just away from that. It's Kansas City head football coach Andy Reid when asked about are the Chiefs a dynasty, and it's an interesting question. Because what I view as a dynasty and what others view as a dynasty may differ. So they're in their third Super Bowl in, what, four years? They've been to five straight AFC championship games and now three Super Bowls. I guess it all comes down to whether or not they win. Right? You're talking to a lifelong baseball guy, lifelong Atlanta Braves fan. Braves were very much considered the team of the 90s. They won one World Series. Lost to the Twins, lost to the Blue Jays, lost to the Yankees twice, 96 and in 99. So one World Series win, four World Series losses. So on some level, that would be considered a dynasty because you dominated your, you know, your league, the National League. You played for the World Championship five times in less than 10 years. So on one hand, it's a a, a dynasty run, but you only have the one chip to show for it, right? And when you look in the NFL history, Right, Green Bay won the first two Super Bowls there in the late 60s, but they'd won a slew of NFL championships before then, before the Super Bowl was created. So you have that dynasty of the 60s. When you go to the 70s, it's the Steelers. Now what makes the interest, once again, Green Bay won back-to-back, right? You get to Pittsburgh, they win 75-76. Back-to-back. Then the Raiders get in there and win. Then the Cowboys win. Then the Steelers come back and win back-to-back again in 79 and 80. 
So they took two years off in between, went back-to-back, two years not winning, then two years winning back-to-back again. So four and six years, with two of those being with two back-to-backs. That's a dynasty, right? And the Steelers were always in the mix. You go to the 80s, the 80s becomes the decade for the 49ers dynasty. And we're not counting championship game appearances and everything else like that. San Francisco wins this first one in 82, and then they win again in 85, and then they win again in 89, and then 90. So once again, there's a back-to-back involved there. Another back-to-back. You go to the 90s, it's the Cowboys. They won three in four years, but back-to-back. The Patriots in the early 2000s, they won three in four years early on. Two of those were back-to-back. It feels like, based on just history of the National Football League, that if you're going to be considered a dynasty, you probably need to win back-to-back titles. Am I wrong? I wouldn't say wrong, but my criteria as I've just kind of been thinking through this for a a dynasty would probably be, one, the same core group being involved, which Kansas City, of course, has pretty much kept this thing together throughout these last five or six years. Just like the Patriots did in the early 2000s where they kept that group together for a while. And I think the second title's important. So, like, they're in the mix, but I... If you lose another Super Bowl here and and if things tail off, which there's no sign they will, but if they did, then I think you would have a real conversation. I don't know if it was a dynasty. I think two titles and a thing that for me is is maybe getting to at least a third. Um, And I think that now and I what I think Kansas City looks like a lot like right now is is what the Astros look like in Major League Baseball. You had a title. You had been back. You hadn't won the second one. And then this year they broke through and won the second one. So I think now the Astros can be in that dynasty conversation and the Chiefs have a chance to do the same thing. But, yeah, it, it's definitely impressive. But I think also it's a little bit more common in football. Um, it's it's funny, like, it maybe not on the scale that, like, the Patriots did it. So I think we had a lot of unprecedented conversations when they were doing it. I would agree. Um, but these little mini, you know, I, that's why I'm saying I don't know if you want to hand out the dynasty title because there's a lot of teams that have done it in the NFL, have won, you know, multiple titles. So, And the Patriots are the most recent, right? They went in 2015 in the inexplicable not handing it off to Marshawn Lynch game against Seattle. They, two years later, get back, win it again. That's, the, of course, the great comeback against the Falcons. They lose the next one, right, to the Philly special, and then they come back and beat the Rams. So they didn't win back-to-back there, but they won three Super Bowls in a five-year span and played in another. And they've got, like, two dynasties within one bigger dynasty. Like, they have these two segments where you won all these Super Bowls, but you still have Belichick, Brady. You know, not all, not many players from when Brady and Belichick's first couple Super Bowls Correct. hung over. But the organization itself, the core there was still the same. So, if Kansas City pulls this off on Sunday and they win their second Super Bowl title in four years and playing in their third Super Bowl in four years... Do you give them the dynasty distinction? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think also what's big to me is the five straight AFC championship games. That is a I lot think of championship games, like once you're getting to the championship game of your conference, you're not going to win that every year. It's, you know, it, but getting there consistently 
being there every year, which again, that's that's what the Astros like. They're in the ALCS, which I think in baseball difficult to do as well. But what Kansas City's been able to do, especially with some of those younger court, he still had Brady to deal with at the beginning of that, and you know throughout it, and now dealing with you know Josh Allen and those guys, and they're still there every year. So I would definitely, if they win this title, they're in the dynasty conversation, or they are a dynasty, I should say. And yeah, that's an interesting point, right? With them, and you know the Astros. Now they've kind of changed their narrative because they won in a 17, they lose in 19, they lose again in 21, but they win in 22. So four World Series appearances in a six-year stretch, but they won two of them, right? And six straight ALCS appearances. That makes it a little bit more nuanced, and I think it's changing in sports as well where their traditional thoughts of what a dynasty is because of free agency, because of the amount of money poured into sports – is not exactly what it used to be. I think it's evolving, if you will. And it's almost more impressive now with the way that sports are set up, in my opinion. I think so. I think I think that I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Absolutely. Now, this isn't Andy Reid's first rodeo, right? He had a great run with the Philadelphia Eagles going to so many NFC championship games, getting to a Super Bowl, losing that Super Bowl in Jacksonville to the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. He's already been to other Super Bowls, right? This is their third in Kansas City alone. And, you know, he was asked, how different is he now compared to the first time he went to the Super Bowl as a head coach? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've changed much uh, that way. I've lost a little more hair uh, and not weight. But it's uh, it's about the same, same picture that you're – that I did for the first Super Bowl. It's very similar to when I was in Green Bay and under Mike Holmgren, kind of same format, and it was the same for him when he was under Bill Walsh at San Francisco. So, um, you know, that, that part's fairly consistent, I think, if you look through the years. So you just see Andy Reid, and he's enjoying it, right? He enjoys being head coach, he understands that this is a kind of a privilege and that what they're experiencing in Kansas City and what he's experiencing is a special thing, right? The man enjoys being a head coach in the NFL. Like, when you watch Belichick, you're like, that man has no joy whatsoever in his life. But Andy Reid, you're like, he enjoys this. Like, and I don't know, I think he's the type of coach that you would really like playing for and you'd play hard for, and he doesn't have to yell at you and demean you to do it right which is nice Reed's done this before obviously been there done that and even now as a veteran coach what are some of the difficulties of the Super Bowl week as the head coach of one of the teams playing in it yeah well it takes you out of your normal routine Uh, you try to keep it as close to that as possible but you've got media obligations like this um, that you've got to do and a couple other things that they throw in there, but um, for the most part, we try we try to keep the practices relatively the same and um, and on schedule. So, but I'd probably tell you just the magnitude of the media and a few of the other things that you're asked to do, promotional things. Yeah. You do get pulled in a million different directions, and it's we see teams all the time. The Super Bowl week gets too big for them, Dawson, and it becomes overwhelming. I don't think that's going to be an issue for the Kansas City Chiefs. Veteran coach, veteran team. They've been here. They have something to prove. It's not going to be too big for them. Once again, Super Bowl 57 Sunday. 
Pre-game coverage begins at 4 o'clock here on the game. Kickoff set for 5.30 as the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs square off in Glendale, Arizona with the Lombardi Trophy on the line. we got to take a timeout. When we return, Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports will join us, talk about those betting lines and prop bets for Sunday's big game. That's next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Super Bowl 57, Glendale, Arizona, Kansas City Chiefs trying to win another Lombardi and put together possibly a modern dynasty. Philadelphia Eagles, now they're trying to win another championship, only their second Lombardi ever. To talk about the betting line for this game and some of the prop bets is our sports betting analyst, the one we prefer to use, our good friend from Paramount Sports, Lee Sterling, joins us. Lee it's been a minute, my friend. Good morning. How are you, bud? I'm great. Had a great vacation. Um, I don't know if you can match this. So for for my birthday, we went to my favorite steakhouse, a local steakhouse that has the biggest shrimp cocktail you've ever seen in your life. Amazing Caesar salad and a baked flaming Alaska. And that was for my birthday. On the 29th, the 30th, my daughter sings the national anthem at the Orange Bowl. Then on the 31st, came back for the end of the year with a good friend of mine, sat on a lake, watched fireworks, and had shrimp cocktail again, lobster from Joe's, uh, lobster and stone crabs from, from Joe's stone crabs. So what you're saying, Lee, is that you're living <laughs> your best life. Is that what you're trying to tell me? It was, it was, I couldn't, oh, oh, and let me, Top that all off. So my brother also got me a signed pair of, of rare, very rare Michael Jordan, one of his uh, basketball shoes. So when I grow up, I want to be like you, Lee. Honestly, <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but it was it was it was an incredible three days. So um, games are going pretty well, uh, winning in all all the sports. So quiet phones aren't ringing. When you lose, the phones are ringing off the hook. People want explanations. Uh, let's hope I can put the uh, icing on the cake, the, the cherry on top. Super Bowl can make or break your year. That is- uh, it's crazy. I had one year one time, I picked almost 60%, and I lost the Super Bowl. I had two people the next year trying to claim to me that they had a losing year. Problem is, you know, people bet two, three, five, or ten times their normal wager on the Super Bowl. Just, Just the way it is. It's just another game. What do you make of the betting line that started and where it's at right now for Sunday's game? So I think it's going to close probably in the I – think, I think it's going to be close to a pick em. I wouldn't be shocked if it's a pick em. So I think money's going to come in late as we hear Patrick Mahomes is probably close to 100%. I think that's what people are waiting on, uh, that final word. 
Um, I'm going to give you the game. I, I think Philadelphia is the right side. We'll do some prop plays after this, but just think that even though Andy Reid is 28-4 and four, uh, with a bye week, <laughs> we're playing for the Super Bowl. Also, uh, Patrick Mahomes, best quarterback in the NFL. But Patrick Mahomes, two touchdowns and four interceptions, two Super Bowl games, seven bad quarters and one amazing quarter. I think he's facing a really good defense with a great pass rush. they got eight guys that can get after you. 55 <clears throat> sacks on the year for that defensive uh, team. And then uh, the offensive line has three pro bowlers, and I just think that Jalen Hurts is so much improved. Unless they turn the ball over three times, I, I think they get the job done, win 31-24. 31-24 is your prediction for the game, Eagles over the Chiefs. Jalen Hurts' shoulder and the fact that they haven't really been forced to throw the ball a lot during their playoff run, that doesn't give you any trepidation whatsoever when laying down some money on the game? Not really. I think he'll be he'll be about 96 97%, and Patrick Mahomes will be 90 to 95%. Gotcha. Now, let's go to some of the prop bets, Lee. A.J. Yeah. Brown is a great wide receiver. He set the Eagles receiving record this year, double-digit touchdowns, yeah. an immense talent. But yeah. whether it's because the games have already been out of hand or he wasn't really needed or defenses have taken him away, he hasn't found the end zone this playoffs. Do you expect that to change? And is that one of the prop bets that someone should probably lay a little money on? You're reading my mind here. I think we're on the same page. So, I think the guy is like Terrell Owens 2.0. You got to use the guy a little bit more. How about this? Here's one of my top four prop wagers A.J. Brown plus 25 receiving yards in both halves. So, Kansas City's pass defense, 23rd in the league. They've given up an average of 71.5 yards to the top receiver on the opposing team. 12 of the 19 receivers have gone over. 50 receiving yards in a game, 25 in each half. So let's go over 25 receiving yards in both halves. A.J. Brown it's one of them. Devonta Smith, Heisman winner, national champion. He can join an exclusive group by winning a Super Bowl as well. I feel like he could be one of those guys that could be an X factor in this game. He could be a, a big play guy for the Eagles offense. Do you agree with that? And what type of prop bets involve the former Heisman winner? Um, I don't know if he's going to match that catch he had in the game uh, two weeks ago in the championship game in the first series. Incredible. I I'm laying off him. Here, let me give you two guys under the radar. All right. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, over 40 receiving yards. He went out early in the game uh, two weeks ago. I, I think he's going to be an integral part of the passing game. They'll throw to him early and often underneath. He can't keep going to Travis Kelsey 15, 20 times a game. So I like his number because it, I think it's deflated because he didn't play in the last game. Uh, over 40 receiving yards. Kenneth Gainwell, running back for the Eagles, over 19 and a half rushing yards. I project him at 38, 39 mm. rushing yards. I think this number's way down. They use him. Sometimes he'll come in the game and as a third down back, and they'll just keep him in, and he'll get the ball in two, three carries. He can gain 20 yards. So I think that's way low. That's probably my strongest prop wager. And, well, Travis Kelsey scored touchdown. I'll say yes, minus one twenty any time of the game. I think that's uh, that's uh, that's probably also 
one of the strong ones you want to take. A um, couple of fun ones. Let's start off with the, the national anthem. As you know, my daughter sang the national anthem for the Orange Bowl. She studies it. She's won eight straight. Here's what she said about Chris Stapleton. And she thinks he's amazing. Says 44 years old. Said if you listen to him compared to a decade ago, his phrasing has gotten a little bit shorter over the years. Air quality, she even said it's drier in Arizona. That could play a little part in it. And the the total started at a minute and 59 seconds. It's been pushed up to two minutes and six seconds. Think about this a little bit. Go back and watch Adina Menzel, who sang it in two minutes and four seconds. She said she doesn't think she can he can sing it longer than that, or, or he won't. First time he's ever done it uh, on the national stage. He might have done it in high school or college, but as a professional, there's no record of him singing anywhere. And uh, the tendency, I know my daughter's sang, sang it 40 or 50 times in arenas and stadiums, and she said the tendency when you sing it for the first time is to go a little bit quicker than normal. She used to sing it like minute 38, minute 40. She now sings it after singing it for over a decade minute 55 to a minute 58. So she said go under two minutes and six seconds, her, hopefully her ninth straight winner. So I she like, started making the prediction for me. I like that. And, and Stapleton, by the way, puts on a great show. I saw him a couple of years ago yeah. here in Lafayette. Yeah. He's, a, he's a tremendous entertainer. So go under on the, the mm-hmm. prop bets for the national anthem time by Chris Stapleton. What else you got, bud? Color Gatorade. You want to take a shot here. What do you think is the most popular flavor? Orange. No. <laughs> if this is Jeopardy, you would, you would have gotten, gotten the buzzer quick. All right, so I thought it was Fruit Punch. It's actually Cool Blue, most popular flavor of Gatorade in the United States. Really? Followed by Fruit Punch, Lemon oh. Lime, and Glacier Freeze. Orange oh. is fifth. I'll oh, see. see. So there it is. Cool Blue and Glacier Freeze are both blue. Three of the last four years, it's been blue. And poured on the head coach. We're going to go blue. Plus 400. And I, I like cross wagers, different sports. Toronto guard Fred Van Vliet. Points plus assists versus Kansas City Chiefs total points. Van Vliet averages 19.7 points per game and six and a half assists. That adds up to 27 on average. So you would think Kansas City's got to score more than 28. Well, they might have to score more than 30. Here's the kicker. They're playing the Detroit Pistons that afternoon. Detroit's given up 120-plus points eight times in January, 135 three times, and even 150 in one game here. I think he goes over 30. I think it's going to be tough for Kansas City to score more than 30 points on this defense. Um, We'll go Fred Van Vliet, uh, points and assists. versus the Kansas City Chiefs total score. You just blew the mind of myself and my producer. My new producer, <laughs> Dawson Eisler, is just shaking his head. He's like, how did he even come up with that? How do you even think of that? Well, it, there's 600 of them out there, over 600. So I study them all, and, you know, they can't make every number right. I mean, the key is don't play like – there's some people out there I know that play. <laughs> Never forget this. A friend of mine went to Vegas one time for one of the Super Bowls. He played a total of 53 prop wagers. It took him an hour to grade them all at the end of the game. 53. And he went, I think he went to 20, 25 and 28. And he lost a lot because the vicarage is 15 to 20 cents on most of the, 
you know, the even money wagers on the prop wagers. That's a, compared to to a football game where it's minus one ten. So got to lay a little bit more. So the key is play ten or twelve or less. You don't want to play forty or fifty prop wagers. All right, brother. Before I let you go, tell the folks where they can go to get all your great insight, get those great tips, and uh, how they can follow you on social media as well, brother. Big, big weekend. I mean, Super Bowl, we've won three the last four years. You want to get my selection there, game or total, top play there, and top ten prop wagers. Plus, I included two bonus long shots there, just $97. Last year was $197. Like I said, we're going for winner four out of five. Uh, Also, Basketball, we've been red hot. Hockey, probably number one in the world. Won nine straight days in basketball. Both sports, just three ninety-seven, or get a combo pack for just five hundred and fifty dollars. Both those sports through the finals in mid-June. And USC two eighty-four. It's trending to be the most bought UFC fight package ever. Um, um, it, this could be blow the doors off anything we've seen before. You want to get that. Six to seven selections, just $47. If we don't produce a winning card, all the rest of the cards in uh, February for free. Just one place, ParamountSports.com. Lee, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy the weekend, and good luck with your bets, my friend. You too, buddy. Take care. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, Poll question of the day. Other than the actual game, what is your favorite part of the Super Bowl to watch? Is it the pre- and post-game shows? Is it the commercials? Is it the halftime show? Or is it other? The wife and I got to figure that out. Are we going to... Have some folks over on Sunday? Are we going to maybe hang out with some other family members to watch the big game? Are we going to, you know, try to be around other people? Are we going to be low-key about it? So the wife and I have to figure that out and figure out what we really want to do. You know, we could have people over, but then, you know, you have to clean up afterwards. Eh. (laughs) Just say it. Eh. (laughs) Right now, 77% of you say commercials is other than the actual game is your favorite part of the Super Bowl to watch. 14% say other. 9% say the halftime show. 0% say pre- and post-game shows. I, I actually voted halftime show. I always thought the commercials are overrated and they always leak beforehand. And I'm always intrigued to see how different musical acts seize the opportunity that the Super Bowl presents itself because every time someone performs at the Super Bowl, their worth goes through the roof, downloads, streams, uh, albums, purchases, the whole nine yards go through the roof. And it's a huge career boost for anyone that does it. So we get Riri on Sunday, Rihanna. I'm intrigued what she's going to do, how she's going to perform, what song she's actually going to perform. Obviously, Jay-Z's behind the scene. It's his company that's putting on the halftime show. So is Rihanna going to kill it? Or I don't know, 
we're going to find out. I'm always intrigued. I know people always complain about the halftime show year in, year out. Oh, the halftime show, crap. It sucks. Well, you know, you don't have to watch it. And, the, you know, <laughs> the Super Bowl is not designed to appease everyone's musical taste either, by the way. It's a game, and they're entertaining you with free entertainment during halftime. So, you know, if you don't like it, step out of the room and go get you some more chips and dip. Mr. Green says commercials 100%. I don't bother with pregame because I'm stuffing my face. I don't bother with postgame because I got to get to bed. Halftime shows have gotten progressively worse. National anthem, whatever happened to singing it the way it was written, steps off the soapbox and shares a Peter Griffin done gift. <laughs> Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter as well. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three. We'll kick it off talking Saints, Derek Carr news, Pelicans with Les Cease of CrescentCitySports.com. That's next here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. on the clock. Final hour of this Thursday edition of RP3 and Company has arrived. Half an hour from right now, Tulane football legend and Super Bowl champion Mawilde Moore will be joining the program to talk about his career and his experience playing on the NFL's biggest stage. We've talked a lot about a lot of different topics here this morning on RP3 and Company. Of course, Kevin Durant trade. From Brooklyn to Phoenix, the Suns send players and four unprotected first-round picks back to Brooklyn, who, despite being number four in the standings in the Eastern Conference, <laughs> has now blown up, blown up its team. And they're going to do a rebuild. Phoenix is all in. Aggressive new owner. Now you got Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton, a big four in the West. That could very much separate them from the rest of the pack, so to speak, in the Western Conference, which is bunched up one on top of each other. While the NBA trade deadline looms this afternoon, the LSU men's basketball team did play a game last night, and shocker, they lost their 11th straight defeat. They went for roughly 10 minutes or so without scoring a bucket. They had turnovers because of dribbling. Woof. The men's basketball team is on the struggle bus. That is for sure. Also, keeping an eye on what's going on with the Derek Carr situation. We know he came into New Orleans last night, talking with Dennis Allen, talking with Team Brass. Did they wine and dine? Can they get a deal done? What is it going to take to give us the latest on the New Orleans Saints trying to pursue Derek Carr, the Pro Bowl quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders, is our good friend from CrescentCitySports.com. Les East joins us now. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing well, Raymond. How are you? 
I'm doing great. What's the latest you can tell us about the whining and dining of the four-time Pro Bowl quarterback of the Raiders by the Saints? Well, my understanding is that he was at the uh, facility for uh, pretty much the entire day yesterday uh, and was, in fact, wined and dined. They took him out to dinner last night, I believe, and, um, you know, had lengthy discussions. There's a lot to be talked about here in terms of uh, where he's going to go and uh, what his contract situation will be and the compensation for getting him, and apparently they're in, um, at least within the ballpark of what the Raiders would like to see in terms of compensation. So there's a lot to work through, but uh, there seems to be mutual interest, and uh, there was a, a lengthy meeting yesterday. I don't know if there's going to be any follow-up today or not, but apparently they spent a lot of time together yesterday, and by all accounts it seems to have gone in a positive direction for possibly getting a deal done. What do you think it's going to take to get a deal done? Is it going to be a second-round pick, a third-round pick? Because obviously those parameters have to be kind of loosely agreed upon before they can even talk to Derek because he's under contract. So what are you hearing in that front? Well, it seems like it's in the neighborhood of a third-round pick, uh, possibly a little bit lower. Uh, I I don't think they would want to go much higher than that, but uh, – I don't think it's been settled on, but I think the, the neighborhood that they're, um, they've agreed to is uh, roughly a third-round pick. So third-round pick, then they would also have to restructure his deal or Mickey would do his magic wand of taking your base salary and turning it into a signing bonus, right? I mean, there's going to have to be some work done there as well to be able to add him to the books. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's got that $40 million bonus that's due, which is really the uh, doing about a week, which is really what is uh, driving this whole timetable because uh, writers are trying to avoid that. And uh, and he's trying to get as much uh, out of whoever his employer winds up being as he can. So there's going to have to be a restructuring of the deal to make it work. You know, the Saints have a lot of work to do to get underneath the cap. They need to uh, add a lot of other players to upgrade the roster. So uh, this is not going to be an easy financial deal for the Saints to make it work because they have, uh, they're, they're strapped for, for money and they have a lot of things they need to do. So they have to, uh, they're going to have to make a lot of changes to his contract to make it work. And uh, I think he's amenable to uh, restructuring the deal, but at the same time, uh, he doesn't want to forfeit money that he uh, is due under his present contract to any significant degree. Do you believe Derek Carr would be a good fit for the Saints? Yes. They they need to find a quarterback who's not currently on the roster if they're going to be a, a, a playoff contender next year. And uh, they're not going to be able to get someone who's ready to come in and play as a rookie in the draft because their pick isn't high enough. Those players are extremely hard to come by. Uh, As far as uh, veteran free agents or trade possibilities, there are other veterans uh, who could be a good fit, but I don't think anybody would be a better fit football-wise than Derek Carr. So it really comes down to uh, can they make it work financially? Can they absorb the compensation with the Raiders to get him? But I think if they're able to make that stuff work, 
he's probably the best quarterback option out there for them. Do you expect a deal to get done this week? Yeah, I think so. If it's going to get done, it'll get done, I think, uh, before kickoff on Sunday for the Super Bowl. Uh, it doesn't mean it's going to get done because, like I said, it's a pretty complicated situation. There are a lot of uh, considerations from the Saints side as well as uh, uh, cars consideration monetarily. So uh, I don't know for sure that it will get done. I think it, it's definitely a doable negotiation, and uh, I think we'll know one way or another before the Chiefs and the Eagles play on Sunday. Which team or teams present the biggest threat of throwing a monkey wrench in the deal by trying to covet Carr themselves? You know, I'm not sure about that. I'm not. I know the Saints were the first ones to uh, ask for and receive permission to visit with him. Uh, I, I, I'm sure there are others that are interested in talking with him. They, like you said, they would have to be in the ballpark on compensation with the Raiders before they'd be able to do that. I'm not aware of any other visits being scheduled by Carr, though I'm sure uh, that he will have other options if he wants to go elsewhere, and I think it would be in his best interest uh, to make some other stops to uh, try and leverage the Saints. We're talking with Les East, reporter from CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us here in RP3 and Company, talking Saints, going to talk some Pels as well. So the car deal, we think it's going to happen. We we believe that it's going to be a good fit. So what does that do for this team with their draft picks now? Because I would assume that's going to take them out of the sweepstakes for drafting a quarterback. I didn't think they were drafting one anyway, but that definitely adjusts what they can do with those picks and how they approach the draft, correct? Well, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't rule out them picking a quarterback somewhere along the line if they thought there was good value there, someone they could develop behind Carr. I believe he's 32, so he's not going to be around forever. But it certainly removes quarterback from being an urgent need. Uh, so, And it removes it, I believe, from uh, consideration in the first round. So uh, I think then both lines become um, – Top priorities. Uh, they need uh, defensive tackle. Uh, they could use a defensive end, and they're, they're probably going to have to rebuild their offensive line to some degree. Uh, they, they could easily terminate Andres Pete, which means they could use a, a guard. Um, but there, uh, you know, there are just a lot of options on both lines, and they, they have a history under Sean Payton, and I don't think it will be much different under Dennis Allen, of really investing high draft choices in both the offensive and defensive lines with mixed results. And so I think those are two areas they're going to look at. But I think they also will be able to look at the best player available because they do have other needs. They they can always use more defensive backs. They, They could use another playmaker at wide receiver, depending on what happens with Michael Thomas. Uh, they could use a running back. I think that will probably be addressed a little bit later than the first round. So I think they will still look to take uh, the highest-rated player at the time they select, but uh, I think it's most likely that that player will be on the offensive or defensive line. 
How long before the Michael Thomas situation gets resolved? Well, they structured the contract so that uh, a post-June 1 release would be uh, would probably work best in terms of the salary cap. So I don't know that it will be officially resolved before June, but certainly uh, they could have an understanding of what they're going to do uh, prior to that, even if they will pull the trigger until June. So I think that's something that is still going to be – I think he's still going to be on the roster until uh, June 2nd. And uh, if they're able to work things out, uh, if they're convinced that he's happy and uh, they want him back, I think they can, you know, they have plenty of time to work through that. Uh, but they've put themselves in a position where they can uh, make a move to release him that's palatable on June 2nd. So I, I don't think anything will happen before then. And I, I think they're still open to the discussions between now and then as to whether he comes back or not. I'm not. Not sure that that's etched in stone anywhere. Let's switch over to the Pelicans. Trade deadlines this afternoon. Other teams have already made moves. Portland's shipped to Josh Hart to the Knicks. The Lakers, part of that three-team deal that they did to get rid of Russell Westbrook and bring in some a uh, couple of good players to help them. Of course, the Durant sweepstakes that Phoenix uh, was able to do. Pelicans were always going to be in the in the space to make a minor move. Less we've talked about it a lot. Do you expect them to make some sort of minor move by the deadline this afternoon? My guess is it's more likely they will not make a move than that they will, but I don't rule it out because I think they're they're going to be talking right up to the deadline to see if there's something they can do to improve the roster uh, going forward. And, uh, you know, yesterday was the anniversary of the, the trade that brought them C.J. McCollum and Larry Nance Jr., which has worked out extremely well. I uh, wrote about that at CrescentCitySports.com. I, I don't think they're on the verge of a trade of quite that magnitude, but if they could do something similar that makes sense, where they get a piece, uh, possibly an outside shooter, but someone who upgrades a roster at a cost that they feel uh, is uh, worthwhile, and I think they'll pull the trigger, but they, they're not in a position where they have to make a move. And uh, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if they don't, but they do have some young players that can move. They do have draft assets that they can afford to part with to get somebody to upgrade this this team. So I think they're going to take it right to the deadline to see if they can find the right deal. But uh, their the roster, if they can get everybody healthy, is is a good one that can produce a playoff team and perhaps a team that can win a playoff series. So I think um, they're going to be cautious before they pull the trigger on any deal. Uh, But I do think that they will be uh, open to discussions right up to the deadline. We get you out here with this. Are we going to see Zion in a Pelicans uniform playing before the All-Star break? Yes or no? No. He, he, he's not going to play for the Pelicans, and I don't think he's going to play in the All-Star game. So we'll see. Uh, I believe their first two games after the All-Star break are on the road, and then I believe they play Orlando here on February 27th. Uh, so I think somewhere at the end of February, right around March 1st, I think is probably the next time you're going to see him 
uh, playing in a basketball game. Les, appreciate your time and your insight as always, brother. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you next Thursday, bud. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. Or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I think they've been uh, just helping each other this year get better, you know, um, I don't. I, want, I don't want to say they, like they're happy for each other when they make plays. Um, you know, there's that 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 little bubble that we threw in the in the Giants game that AJ. You know, that AJ uh, leads the way for a touchdown, and then they're celebrating with each other, and they know that they help each other, right? That if you if you try to take AJ away, Devontae's going to have a big game, and vice versa. And so I don't want to say they're. I mean. Maybe they're, maybe they're playing ping pong or doing stuff like that where I don't see them. Uh, but I, I do see them just trying to help each other out and, and really being happy for each other's success. I know it started off a little, a little different against um, uh, Detroit where A.J. had the huge game and Devontae didn't have any catches in that game. Um, but they just kept going back to work. We knew we'd need both of them to, to be in this moment right now. And... Uh, they're they're truly sharpening each other. They're iron iron is sharpening iron. There they're 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 sharpening each other, um, helping each other get better. And because they are the players that they are, you know, they you know it's hard for defenses to try to, to key and take away one guy. That's Philadelphia Eagles coach Nick Sariani on his tandem at wide receiver, AJ Brown and Devonta Smith. There's a healthy competition between the two, and it's a good matchup it's it's a good not matchup it's a it's a good pairing for the Eagles they were aggressive they went out and got AJ still trying to figure out why he was allowed to walk we'll talk about the team that he used to play for and the decisions they make you get the big body guy in Brown reset the Eagles receiving record mark this year but then Devonta is so shifty and he makes great catches you got a one-two punch there at wide receiver. And that's what makes the Eagles offense just so dangerous for me. And this is why I lean towards Philly in this game. Kansas City's done an okay job with their corners. But they had to bite the bullet because they got two rookies, I do believe, out there. How are you going to match up against those two wide receivers? I just, we can talk about Jalen Hurts not throwing for more than 240 yards, and maybe they won't because maybe Philly's going to be committed to the run game, and I could see that. But does Kansas City have the guys in the defensive secondary to match up and to keep both Brown and Smith out of the game? Because if you want to bracket Brown and take him out of the game, okay, that means you're going to leave Devonta one-on-one. 
Well, he has enough speed and get can get enough separation that he's going to burn you every time on that. And Hertz is an accurate enough of a passer to take advantage of that as well. So that's the matchup for me in this game. Line of scrimmage is tough. Philly has an advantage there. Right? I think they have the better line of scrimmage both on offense and defense. They both have really good quarterbacks. Kansas City has maybe the greatest pass-catching tight end of all time. But Philly has not one but two guys. And both of those guys are better than Juju Smith-Schuster. And the other, you know, guys that Kansas City got off the scrap heap to be part of their wide receiving core. Because they got Mahomes and they have Kelsey. And then they just figure it out with the rest of the guys. Can Kansas City successfully eliminate both of those wide receiving threats and I don't think they can I just I just don't believe they can and the other thing that they have and we talk about Mahomes and how magical he is for Kansas City look Sirianni talked about this as well his quarterback Jalen Hurts he's even right he never gets too high he never gets too low he's always kind of cool especially in the big moments and that's going to be huge on Sunday yeah, I think that's just who he is, regardless of his age. It, it, that's just who he is as a competitor, as a player. I guess it's rare in the fact, I think, I, I mean, I see it every day. You know, I mean, I witness it every day of him, um, you know, just not being caught up in any moment. And, you know, and that, that speaks to who he is, how he was raised, and that, you know, he's just, he's steady. Um, and so it's impressive to see, um, but that's what I'm accustomed to now with, with, with Jalen. Um, and he's the same guy every day. Once again, I am not a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I actually root against them, and I will be rooting against them on Sunday. But I just feel like they have this one matchup that is going to be just too much for maybe Kansas City to overcome. They have not one but two really good wide receivers, and they have a quarterback that's really good. If you take away one of the wideout options, they still have the other, and their offensive line is really, really good. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Travis, to the show. Travis, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Hey, RP3, good morning to you, man. We're talking about big big physical receivers, and I heard you doing your interview about uh, Michael Thomas earlier. Tell me why talk of re-signing Michael Thomas shouldn't give me heart palpitations. <laughs> well, well, brother, <laughs> so, so look. They restructured, you know, they're going to redo that deal where they can get rid of him after June 1st, right? Yeah. And that's going to allow them to either part ways with him, trade him, cut him, or do whatever it is. They're still going to be on the hook for some money, but it's going to be, it's going to better serve the team and Michael will get his money as well. So if they do want to move on from him, they've now arranged it that the deal would be done after June 1st. Because that would that's what would help the team the most, and then he would essentially be traded right before the start of training camp to another team. Now, I don't know if I, Travis, I don't know if that's going to happen because who's going to want to trade for him and take on that big salary? And he hasn't played in three years, and then there's also mixed signals from him about you know I'm keeping receipts. He's talking about it on social media and all this other stuff. 
what if he decides he wants to stay in New Orleans? What if what if he decides he's like, you know what? I'm committed. I want to prove that I can still play. Guys, I'm committed to the Saints. I want to play with Derek Carr. That could happen as well. We don't talk about it enough, but that could be a realistic possibility. I mean, I'm okay with getting him on the cheap, you know, at a certain point. But, man, he's kind of – that's a dicey decision right there, man. Well, I, I appreciate it, RP3. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, bud. Shout out to Travis. He's my neighbor. <laughs> neighbor and diehard Saints fan. Yeah. Look, the Michael Thomas situation has not been optimal for three years. It was great. You gave him all that money, and he he proved that he was worth it that one year where he set the record. But it has been a clown show ever since. And maybe it's just time to move on. Right? Fresh start for both he and the team. We got to take a timeout. When we return here, we're going to talk with Tulane football legend and Super Bowl champion, Manuel Day Moore. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Very few players ever make it to the National Football League. With the first pick. Even fewer make it to the league's grandest stage. The Cincinnati Bengals. They are going to the Super Bowl. This next guest is someone who accomplished both. Time for Super Bowl Spotlight here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. He was a star running back at Bel Air High School in Baton Rouge. He would go on to play for the Tulane Green Wave, being a three-time all-conference USA selection, more than 4,000 rushing yards, more than 2,000 receiving yards, only the second player in NCAA history to accomplish that feat, by the way. He was inducted into the Tulane Athletics Hall of Fame in 2010. He would go on to be a fourth-round draft pick of the Minnesota Vikings and then, of course, would play nine years in the National Football League, including a long time with the Pittsburgh Steelers appearing in two Super Bowls, winning one of them as he had a career of more than 5,700 all-purpose yards. It's our privilege to welcome to RP3 and company, Moel Day Moore. Moel Day, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me, man. It's, uh, it's awesome. When you were growing up in BR, going to Bel Air, just trying to get a scholarship to go play college ball. Did you ever think that you would be able to play in the NFL for nearly a decade and play in not one but two Super Bowls? It was always a dream. You know, uh, I just remember a long time ago when uh, Walter Payton was playing Chicago Bears in 1985 Super Bowl, man. Watch the Bears and watch, you know, one of the greatest running backs play in New Orleans and uh, to win it all. It was uh, it was an amazing thing, and it was always something that I, I always envisioned myself being able to do. Was Sweetness the guy that inspired you to be a running back and to be a great football player? Uh, he was the first one, man. He was uh, he was that initial he was the initial running back that I that I grew up to watch as a little boy, you know. And that's all you heard about him and his training regiment. Uh, he just he just uh, he just exemplified what it was to be a professional and uh and to be a great professional running back. Him and uh, him and Jerry Rice, they just showed you what hard work uh, did. Country boys that uh, that put put in the time and put in the work and put in the time to to perfect their craft and uh they just kind of gave you the blueprint to, to what it was to be great what what it is to, to have opportunity a chance uh i will have to repeat that a chance to, to play in the nfl and uh it was an amazing thing and uh, they had it right they got it right 
We're talking with Tulane Athletics Hall of Famer and Super Bowl champion Mawel Day Moore. He joins us here on RP3 and Company for Super Bowl week. Mawel Day, you had a great career with the Green Wave. Three-time All-Conference USA selection. You had more than 6,500 all-purpose yards. Did you feel like because of your ability to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield, to be able to run routes, did you feel like that was going to give you an advantage to get to the NFL and to succeed and stay in the NFL? Yeah, you know, that was those were the two components I knew that was going to give me the ability to, to stay in there, just like the likes of Warwick Dunn and Marshall Park, the guys who, who traveled, Dalton Hilliard, the guys who traveled the path before me. I knew that that was going to give me the opportunity, the best opportunity to do that. That's why I wanted to go to a place where I was going to be able to display those skills on a, on a, on a day-in and night-in basis, on a weekend basis. Um and I'm very proud of that. I'm very happy that I was given the opportunity to be able to perform like that. And also, I wasn't overly used. You know, um, I probably averaged about 18 to 20 carries a game and maybe, you know, five on a good day, maybe 10 catches out the backfield. So it wasn't really uh, – it wasn't like I did – I did a lot with, I did a, a lot with a little, you know, with, with just enough. So um, I'm very happy about it, very pleased about my career. Oh, I, I would just uh, like um, with, with just a little plug on this. Um, you know, I, with those numbers and that people say, you know, um, I, I I would love to be able to get the opportunity and the recognition of being able to have the you know someone speak of me uh, for the College Hall of Fame because I mean still into this day, you know, there's some people who haven't been able to amass those type of numbers. Um, going from college realm, somebody may say, oh, this, this, and that, but I've performed against the best with, you know, with, with the team that we had at that time and only to prove myself and prove to the world that I was able to be a Super Bowl champion as well. So there's nothing really anybody can say besides, you know, give me an opportunity to get a chance to be in that college uh, football Hall of Fame. You definitely deserve to be in there. So you get drafted in the fourth round by the Vikings, and you make an impact early on in your career with Minnesota. Well, what's your, kind of your favorite memory or maybe the kind of the lesson learned in your early years in the NFL playing for Minnesota? What I realized that hard work does pay off, and you have a talent, and you can play anywhere. Um, and uh, when I was – it was funny because me having those numbers uh, coming out of Tulane – um, my first role and first uh, first job with, with the Minnesota Vikings was to be a punt returner. So I was kick returning and punt returning, only to find an opportunity to take some to the house, um, uh, take a take a couple to the house. Um, but I think that's another thing too is being able to have that versatility and that resiliency to go into uh, to the to the league. I haven't I didn't do punt returns in college. I did punt returns in high school. But to be able to take that and go from one stage and make it small enough to be able to perform on the next stage, um, I think that was the biggest thing was just transforming and tweaking a lot of lot of different skills and a lot of different things. But the transition from uh, at that time uh, when I was coming out of uh, college to going into the, to the NFL, it actually was a lot easier because I took the cha- the challenge earlier to to play, you know, at a school that uh, that challenged me and, and presented uh, greater challenges of, of of different competition. So when I was able to get on a stage that had, you know, these high performance, high talented, uh, abnormal human beings, uh, you know, it just made my, it was actually easier. So the transition from college to the NFL from Tulane. Uh, was 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 actually a lot easier uh, than for most people because you know uh, I was sharpening my skills in college to a level that allowed me to apply so many different things and I was already used to it. Um, so, but yeah, I was uh, it, the 
Minnesota was a was a great place, uh, great fans, um, and uh, you know I played with a lot of great players: Dante Dante Culpepper, uh, Randy Moss, uh, uh, Matt Burke, um, Michael Bennett, um, uh, uh, Corey Tavis. Uh, these, these guys, um, Antoine Winfield Sr., who you know now has a son who who, who won a Super Bowl over there. I, I remember uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. when he was a little boy. Um, uh, very energetic. So, yeah, I, I mean, just 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 a blessing to be able to go and be in that atmosphere and uh, have that energy in the dome was just was everything that I wanted, everything that I dreamed of, and I just wanted to give the fans what they wanted and and, and come out with a with a big win. You make the decision in 2008 during free agency that you're going to sign a three-year deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and obviously you were going to be part of a platoon with Willie Parker and Rashard uh, Mendenhall. What was it about the Steelers that a boy from Louisiana said, that's where I want to go play? It was amazing. You know, uh, Ryan Clark was already over there, and the guy who played um, uh, with me in Minnesota, uh, Tyrone Carter, he was uh, he was there as well. Um, and uh, when I when I got to 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 Pittsburgh, um, Coach Tomlin was actually the defensive coordinator in Minnesota. So he just told me that I was one of the missing pieces um, that I brought, you know, to the table. You know, my ability to catch and and do returns, and only to see that uh, history repeats itself, uh, where everybody gets hurt, and then I have to take every snap and be the every down back, uh, even being labeled as a third down back. Um, going in and, and scoring goal line touchdowns and playing big boy football, um, which was uh, which was a treat for me because it allowed me to to, to 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 not be boxed in by what people were trying to create a niche for me or label me as. I was able to break those labels and show that I was an every down back headed to a Super Bowl. So um, it was a very very um, a very amazing. Amazing um, uh, place to play, uh, fan-wise. The loyalty, uh, the passion, the understanding, uh, the deeper knowledge and detail. They're not just fair-weather fans. They know what's going on. Um, it's more of a family environment. The the organization itself is first class from the top down, the Roonies all the way to everyone who's in the cafeteria. Everybody loves you. Everybody cares about you, and everybody cares about everybody else. You know. Um, uh, quick story, Troy Palomalo had some uh, pretty cool shoes. And this dude was willing. I was like, man, those are awesome shoes, man. And this dude was willing to, like, actually, you know, he stepped out of his shoes and said, here, man, you can have them. It's like, man, well, where, where do people do that at? So it's just uh, the type of energy that was that was at, in, the, in that building just from start to finish. And um, I was so pleased and, and, and happy to be there because that's what I wanted to do. My whole career – I started playing football with the South Baton Rouge Rams, Coach Chili Johnson, Coach Amos, um, and these guys. That's the place where Warwick Dunn, Michael Clayton, and Marcus Spears played. You know what I mean? So you can actually talk, you know, understand how we were upbringing. Like our upbringing in football um, was, uh, you know, to me that was the football mecca of Baton Rouge was playing uh, South Baton Rouge Rams, and I'll give the South uh, and I'll give the Bandits their credit as well. Um, but that was like the biggest part of playing junior uh, Pee Wee junior and senior football in, in Baton Rouge. Anybody knows it back then? Those were the championship games, and uh, they were the they, they were the sight to see. And we learned a lot about playing football and what it took, and what what you actually what you actually had to bring to the table every time when you played the game. And uh, when I played with South Baton Rouge Rams as a, as a youth, um, I always dreamed about being able to play that type of football, that style of football. 
uh, once again sometime in my career. And uh, as from being a young man to, to being a young boy to, to being being able to have opportunity as a man to be able to have that full circle happen for me uh, with Pittsburgh, uh, that is exactly the best way that I can describe it as far as how uh, the type of football that uh, that I always dreamed to, to rekindle and play again, I found it in, in Pittsburgh. You had to play in two Super Bowls in Pittsburgh, Mawolde and Super Bowl 43. Uh, the Steelers win a classic game over the Arizona Cardinals, 27-23 down in Tampa. When the game is over and you got to play in the game, you got to be in the box score, you're on the field afterwards. What was that like when you got to actually put your hands on the Lombardi trophy? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, look, uh, the catch alone was like, it, it was so real that it, it turned into a, a place where it's like your whole life, is, it, it, it's almost like your whole life just floats from the ground, from earth, and it just ascends up into heaven, and you're just floating on a cloud. Um, and, uh, I mean, that whole experience just brings me chills. You know, some people, it, they never get it, and some people, they, 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 they play their whole entire lives, and they, and they come up short, or they get there, and they come up short. Uh, numerous times before they actually can get an opportunity to, to hug and kiss that sticky Lombardi. And uh, for me, there was just so many moments in there where, you know, the, uh, the, to see my family uh, enjoying the stage and standing on the stage where we, the podium where we won, uh, where we won and just uh, you know, f- um, having uh, friends and teammates and all congratulate and hug and just in celebration of, of what, uh, of what an amazing accomplishment that we we accomplished. That was one of the toughest seasons uh, in the history of the NFL. We had one. We had the best defense in the history of the NFL, uh, but we also had the toughest season ever in the his, history of the NFL. And to accomplish all of those things, I mean, we probably won like six come from behind games, uh, too many games um, that entire that entire season. So we were we were kind of accustomed to a hard-fought battle uh, and uh, playing, you know, a back-and-forth type game. And uh, I hope the fans were amazed and, uh, and, 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 and they had an enjoyment with it. But, man, it was an amazing time and uh, a, a right kind of I – w- I, I couldn't have pictured it uh, any better than, uh, than how it happened. You know, that was the best way – my type of experience, I could tell you that much. When I talk to guys that have played in multiple Super Bowls, and it's always the same response, they remember – the ones they win, they cherish them, but the ones they lose, it sticks with them. And even more so than the ones they win. And you guys go back two years later for Super Bowl 45, this time in Arlington, on the losing end, losing to the Packers, 31-25 there in Jerry World. Does the one that you guys lost, does that sting more than the one that you won, Mobile Day? You know, I always thought that it would have been a great, it had a great ring to it to be a two-time champion. Um but, you know, I think the biggest part about this is uh, that the one that we – the first one, you know, I, I don't have the, the bitterness of, of losing the first one. I, 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 we, we went out there and we won that first one. And a lot of guys who could have had a Super Bowl hangover from their – from off of that team who won one already going into the second one, they could have had a Super Bowl uh, hangover, but they, they fought like dogs. Alongside, we all fought like dogs to win the second, for them to win the second one, for me to win uh, my first one. So I don't have any complaints about it. I mean, I know for me, I gave it everything I had 
Mawalde, I'd be remiss if I don't ask you about the Mawalde Moore Knowledge First Foundation. That's something that's near and dear to your heart. Uh, what is the foundation all about, and how can people get involved, brother? Right now, we, we've actually been uh, doing a lot of different things to uh, just get our message across. We went through with the physical side of the camps and with the explosion of so many different athletes from Baton Rouge. Uh, we've kind of uh, we, we've kind of taken the taken a, a backseat with camps and stuff like that. Um, we've just been just kind of putting out different information um, with family, friends, and and things of that nature. I haven't really been on social media that much, but I've just been trying to you know give out messages and things of that nature the best way I can, just so that it impacts a lot of people. Just trying to uh, the the things that we started out in 2009, those things are are moving along. So you know, as I monitor them, I, I will continue to have my input on it. As far as us just being physically uh, available and everywhere, we have we have taken a uh, we have taken a different approach. We've taken a, a more of a subliminal approach, and uh, I'm really happy about it because it seems like we're we're, be, we're able to do more that way. You know, our our stance is still the same. We still want to educate a lot of uh, kids and, and and give them the knowledge to be able to understand how sports and school um, and academia are very important to uh, a person and the, their development. But we also want them to understand, too, that uh, life after sport, the, with the development of, of education and further research, that uh, an individual, uh, once they become a, a grown-up, that they're making money and they're doing things, that they need to be very aware, aware of their finance. So the financial literacy part is just as important as, as being somebody productive and uh, a productive citizen in this great country that we live in. Well, Day, appreciate your time. Keep up the great work with your foundation. And thank you so much uh, for making the time and enjoy the game, brother. Thank you. Hey, thank you, man. I appreciate it. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <laughs> Uh, make sure to join us for a day of golf and giving at the Game Charity Golf Scramble, benefiting Redbird Ministries. Hit the links at Farm to Alley while supporting a great cause. All proceeds from the tournament will go towards Redbird Ministries' mission of serving families who have been given the extraordinary cross to carry the loss of a child. In addition to 18 holes of golf, the day will include great prizes, food, drink, and a great day with the staff of the game. So gather your friends and colleagues for a fun day on the course while making a difference in the lives of those in need. Get your foursome together now and register at 1037thegame.com. That's 1037thegame.com. Together, we can make a difference. I want to take a moment to thank our guests for helping us make this Thursday edition of RP3 and Company. Tremendous. Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. Les East of CrescentCitySports.com. And, of course, Tulane football legend, Super Bowl champion, Moel Day Moore. Poll question of the day. We asked you, other than the actual game, what is your favorite part of the Super Bowl to watch? Overwhelmingly, 73% of you say the commercials, even though they've gotten lackluster in recent years. 20% of you say other. 7% say the halftime show. And no votes for pre or post game. Take that pre and post game. You just got served by the listeners of the game. Robert says this year, definitely the commercials, but that means I have to watch the game. Thanks to all who voted. Thanks to all who commented appreciate you making us part of your morning 
That's going to do it for today's show. We'll be back on tomorrow. Special guests, Alan Fanica, Kevin Falk, and more as we close out Super Bowl week here on RP3 and Company. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next.